0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Because It Is. We are on the threshold of World Hunger Day, which I think is um, remembered on May 28th of this year. And so we thought it fitting to have a conversation about hunger. This might come as a surprise to many, but hunger is still very much an issue uh, for many people. Uh, in the Little Rock community, in this nation, and certainly in this world. And we think we as people of faith have something to say about hunger. Uh, If you think about it, throughout the breadth of our scriptures, food is seen as a spiritual uh, issue, access to food. From the Garden of Eden, where God talks about eating, to Manna, which fell from heaven for the people of Israel in the wilderness. Bread for the day, which is reflected in the Lord's prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And if you think about the ministry and the life of Jesus, so much of who he was revolved around tables and inviting people to tables and meals. And so access to food is a matter of faith to us. A sad uh, indictment on our society and our world today is that we have enough food. Uh, There is not a scarcity of food resources. What we do have a scarcity of in this world is equity and justice and care and concern. And so we hope that this episode will spawn some thoughts in in your regard about how you and your church— Uh, And certainly, us at Second Baptist Church can help uh, create an atmosphere of justice and neighborhood and care and love so that hunger does become a thing of the past. To guide us in this discussion is someone who is is very much an expert in this field, uh, Jeremy Everett. Uh, He is an acclaimed author and a noted speaker. He is currently the CEO of the Baylor Collaborative on Hunger and Poverty, and uh, that was formerly known in part, at least, as the Texas Hunger Initiative. So for many years, he has worked as the executive director of the Texas Hunger Initiative uh, in solving hunger issues in the state of Texas and beyond. Um, So we welcome Jeremy to our podcast and appreciate not only his wisdom uh, and faithfulness, but also his keen discernment on uh, what makes hunger a problem and what the problem of hunger creates in terms of other problems. I hope that you'll listen to Jeremy with an open heart and open mind and think about how you and I both together might um, redeem the problem of hunger in our day. Welcome to Because It Is, a place for conversations about faith, justice, and other things that matter. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Because It Is, and hi, Jeremy Everett. Welcome to the podcast of Second Baptist Church. Uh, we're honored to have you with us to talk about uh, hunger and poverty.
1: Uh, Preston, it's great to be with you and uh, to be, uh, with your congregation, uh, via this podcast.
0: So Jeremy, you work for the Baylor Collaborative on hunger and poverty. Can you tell us a little more about what that is and what you do?
1: Yeah. Our job at Baylor at the Baylor Collaborative is to, uh, develop solutions to end hunger, uh, both in the United States and around the world. And we do that really through three, uh, particular, uh, lanes. So one is public service, uh, Uh, Brian Stevenson, the author of Just Mercy, uh, Mercy says, you can't solve a social problem from a distance. You have to have proximity to the problem. And so we have field offices across the state of Texas and great partners like the Arkansas Hunger Alliance all across the country uh, that, uh, that, that have proximity to the problem. And so we believe in that. And so we work in a public service capacity to try to develop scalable solutions uh, to end hunger. And then, and then our, our public service team works in real time with our researchers. And so we have a, a large team of, of interdisciplinary researchers from all different academic disciplines looking at issues of hunger and poverty to determine uh, how they can address it, uh, how we can strengthen our uh, comprehensive engagement of it, um, and evaluating the impact of the programs that we operate on the ground. And then we translate all that to public policy. So when you're thinking about scale, ultimately, you have to think about public policy. And so we work with Congress and with USDA to determine what are the best ways possible we can address food insecurity uh, around the country and around the world. Mm.
0: Wonderful. Sounds like a holistic program to me. Um, You know, hunger sounds so simple, and we live in an age where, you know, we send people to space and can do the most incredible uh, feats, and both a macro and a micro level. Um, it seems like hunger is a problem of the past. Uh, is is it? And and is it a or is it a problem very much with us today?
1: You know, I wish it was a problem of the past. It it, it unfortunately is a reality that too many families around the United States and around the world live with on a regular basis. Um, uh, in in the greater Little Rock area alone, uh, you have over 65,000 people that identify as food insecure. And food insecurity is the, the technical definition that we use in the United States to measure hunger. Essentially, it means that somebody doesn't have enough food to live an active, healthy lifestyle. Uh, before the pandemic, uh, we, we saw food insecurity rates drop to about a, about 11, percent 11.1 percent, which was the lowest we've had in modern American history, it was really remarkable. But unfortunately, after the pandemic um, hit, uh, we've seen that spike to over 23 percent in our nation, uh, and that's the the highest we've had on record uh, in, in modern American history. So uh, we, we've we've got a lot of families that uh, uh, that are struggling to be able to make ends meet and. And, and, uh, and so hunger becomes, uh, the result of, of not being able to pay all of your bills and be able to afford all of your expenses. So mm. it is, it is too, uh, it's unfortunate in the 21st century that that's an issue that we're still dealing with.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, we can talk about the problem of hunger, but hunger causes so many other problems. Can you talk about not just the problem of hunger, but how it manifests itself in so many ways in our society?
1: Yeah, I can. I can. uh, um, I'll tell you a story. So uh, uh, early in my career doing community organizing work, I lived on the west side of San Antonio. Uh, We had a a neighbor uh, named uh, Lupe uh, who, who lived a couple doors down from us. And uh, she was a champion for education in the community. It was a very high poverty neighborhood. Our best high school had a 50% dropout rate. The median income was $19,000 per household. And and the average household had three generations living in it. Uh, So one of our neighbors, for example, had over 20 people living in a small two-bedroom house um, that that everybody was sharing. Um, So a lot of people living in each household, but not a lot of money to be able to go around. And uh, Lupe knew the ticket out of poverty for her kids was education. Mm. So she would, uh, uh, every day, uh, she and her husband were also the primary caregivers to her two wheelchair bound parents. And so she would send, uh, after her husband left for work, she would send her uh, parents to a senior center and then she'd make her way down to the local schools to educate, uh, to work alongside the educators in those schools to do what she could. To help not only her kids graduate from high school, but all the kids in the neighborhood. Well, uh, you know, her husband, though he did have a full-time job, didn't have gainful employment. It wasn't enough money to be able to provide for all of their household needs. So it wasn't uncommon for our kids to come down and, and hang out with our kids uh, during the summer. And, and um, if my wife brought out a, a bowl full of fruit, you know, they'd gobble it up and we would realize that that might be all that they would get to eat for a day or two. Uh, Their power was regularly cut off. Their water was shut off on a a regular basis. They just had a myriad of issues that they were dealing with. Uh, Lupe, while we lived there, got an ear infection, uh, like we've all gotten before. But no one in the neighborhood or the majority of people didn't have health insurance. So she made her way down to one of the local emergency rooms once it got too painful to bear and uh, sat in the waiting room all day, uh, wasn't called, uh, and she needed to catch the bus to get back home before her kids got out of school. And later that evening, uh, when she was back at home, her eardrum ruptured, the mm. infection went to her brain, uh, she fell into a coma, and she never woke up. Mm. And the next day, her kids and her husband were going door to door on our block, raising money for a memorial service so that they could bury uh, their mom. And her husband, Luis, just sat on my front porch. He put his head in his hands and just started weeping uncontrollably, saying, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And the reality is is that families like Lupe's bear the weight of all of our broken social systems. They're food insecure. They don't have access to health care. They're underemployed and have been for generations. They're sending their kids to failing schools. They're in neighborhoods with high crime rates um, and, 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 and lots of gang violence and so forth. So, uh, so yeah, so all these issues are inextricably intertwined. That's why when when Dr. King said, you know, uh, an injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, why that makes sense um, on the local level. We see that played out in households all across America. Right.
0: a uh, Simple follow-up question or a related follow-up question, not so simple. Uh, Lupe's story seems to capture so many of these causes of hunger, but as you've worked in this field, uh, what really causes people to be hungry? It seems like there's enough food. What causes people to be hungry?
1: Well, that's a great – you're right. We we produce enough food worldwide – to ensure that everybody would have access to an adequate amount of food, essentially three healthy meals a day, seven days a week, no matter where they live. Mm -hmm. So the issue in, and, and, uh, in a 21st century environment is not an issue of famine or a lack of production. It's an issue of logistics. You know, it's an issue of making sure that families have access to food on on a regular basis. And part of that is will, Mm -hmm. um, You know, so uh, I'll give an example. So uh, William Overforce, uh, uh, 18th century British parliamentarian um, who is credited for ending the British slave trade. Spent his whole career in parliament working on ending the British slave trade, ultimately achieved that goal three days before he died. Mm. And one of his biographers said that that wasn't his greatest achievement. His greatest achievement was ending the very idea that slavery was an acceptable form of commerce. Because until that point in human history, it was just a normal way of doing business. And for whatever reason we have decided, or, or we have not, we, uh, as a society, that hunger and poverty are acceptable social conditions. Mm-hmm. And so we, we might give to the food bank, or we might do a little, uh, we might donate once a year. We might, as churches, you know, where we are famous for our turkey basket giveaways at Thanksgiving and Christmas right. and whatnot. You know, And so we remember families in need in, in, in those times. But we haven't created a new framework that says that hunger and poverty are, are unacceptable, social mm. conditions. Mm. And so we will always have hunger until we decide that everybody has a right to food. Wow. That it is inherently a part of our createdness and a part of our participating with God as Christians and as people, human beings. <laughs> Uh, to participate with creation to ensure that everybody has access to food. If we figure, if we come to that conclusion, we'll mm-hmm. figure out the logistics. Right. Right. But if we don't come to that conclusion, then we'll then uh, uh, then we'll always have hunger among us.
0: If I'm hearing you correctly, this issue is like so many others in that the church has more of a remedial posture than a justice orientation that we we tend to solve the the effects of the problem without addressing the root causes of the problem
1: that's right and uh you know for the for for largely the white church in america that that uh directly goes back to um the church during uh slavery uh Mm -hmm. what we did is we bifurcated the, the of what what the identity of what the gospel actually was mm-hmm. during slavery so that we said we can save somebody's soul but we don't have to care for their physical being because we didn't want to give slaves any leverage to feel like they should be independent that they shouldn't be enslaved or that they should have rights of their own because they uh, came to a faith experience and so we pulled those two we we pulled uh, core aspects of the gospel apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result, uh, you know, we, we have, uh, uh, we, we talk about the social gospel as something that, that we mm-hmm. might endorse. Um, but when you think about, so I wrote a book on Matthew 25 called I Was Hungry. And uh, in that passage, it's the only eschatological scene, the only end of the world scene or apocalyptic scene, if you will, in the entire gospel of Matthew, the only one. And uh, and Jesus has returned and he's king and he, you know, he brings all the people before him and he begins to separate the sheep from the goats, the righteous from the accused. And to the astonishment of the people gathered, the criterion for judgment wasn't confession of faith in Christ. Right. It was whether or not you acted with love and cared for the needy. But we often treat that in the modern church as if that's extra credit. That's right. And so for us as people of faith, that's where it starts. Right. So I think for us in hunger, it starts in the church from a formation standpoint Mm. to help us understand what we're actually called to do and be uh, as people who are followers of Christ.
0: Yeah, that's so good, and I, I see that in a million ways in the church. Uh, this bifurcation of the person that, you know, oftentimes we'll say we're souls that have bodies, but but we are we are bodies too, and our souls and our bellies are interrelated. Uh, the Bible talks a lot about food. Jesus uh, used food and tables to uh, sort of serve as icons of the kingdom of God, and so to neglect the body, the physical, the, the real belly hunger is to sort of make a frontal assault on the way that God created the world.
1: That's right.
0: So may we do better.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, you mentioned the pandemic a few minutes ago, other than just Higher rates of hunger. Have you noticed any other challenges that the pandemic has thrown your way in terms of hunger, or um, learned any lessons in the pandemic that might enhance your work in the future?
1: Yeah, oh man, it's uh, um, it's well, it's exposed a lot of inequities, obviously, in society. I think we we all have been able to to, to see that or experience that firsthand in our communities uh um you know the the families that are are food insecure were all also you know they're disproportionately people of color mm-hmm. and people of color who are food insecure who are oftentimes experiencing some level of diet related disease because they can't access the healthy food you know they don't have healthy food in their in their communities right you know so they live in food deserts areas without grocery stores where they might only have fast food restaurants um, or nothing at all, and uh, and so those are the same individuals; those are the same families that were disproportionately hit hardest by COVID nineteen. Right. Um, so it just it's just a doubling down um, uh, on on people who are bearing the weight of our broken social system. So so that's that's been one aspect. Um, it you know the good thing about. Our, our country in these, time, in these desperate situations is, is it is when we typically, uh, we get outside of ourselves sometimes, mm-hmm. and it's been a little mixed this time. <laughs> but many people in America have gotten outside of themselves and have tried as many innovative approaches as they possibly can to get food to families. Uh, and it's been, that part has been inspiring. Um, and it just hadn't been just one administration. Both administrations, you know, have, have done, uh, have tried to do what they can to, to be able to address skyrocketing food insecurity. I will say a project that we got to be involved with, which was really great, um, we're typically, we, we drive these hunger-free community coalitions. Our, our, our mentality is that no one organization or one sector can end hunger by themselves, that it inherently requires all sectors: the corporate sector, the business sector, the faith community sector, the nonprofit sector. Everybody working strategically to, to address these big issues like hunger or poverty, uh, uh, getting rid of you know the the, the COVID nineteen you know pandemic. I mean, the it requires us to work in a public and private partnership, kind of collaborative way. So. Uh, but we we had identified a few years ago that what was working for us to address hunger for children in urban America, wasn't translating to rural America, hmm. uh, because when kids would get, get get out of school like during the summer months, uh, families lived too far away from uh, uh, summer meal sites. They couldn't physically get to a summer meal site to be able to participate. Um, Congress has just launched a new program called Summer EBT or Pandemic EBT, where they put extra resources on a SNAP card for families, um, and then they can go redeem that benefit in local grocery stores. It will be the most effective way that we will address summer hunger as a nation moving forward. It is a phenomenal program Hmm. that has significant economic impact on the local level. But if you live in a rural community, uh, you don't have a grocery store, uh, and you live too far away from one, that that benefit may not help you out that much. Right. And so we partner with three companies, McLean Global out of Houston, PepsiCo's social enterprise arm called Food for Good, and then Chartwell's, the nation's largest school food provider, uh, all with USDA to mail boxes of food, a week's worth of food in some cases, two weeks worth of food in other cases, directly to children in rural America that were living in high poverty. And we ended up, it was the smallest program we were testing out two years ago uh, in in 20 20 different school districts in East and West Texas. And uh, when the pandemic hit, uh, USDA and Congress called us and said, hey, can you scale this nationwide immediately? And so we ended up doing it. And we served kids in 43 states plus Puerto Rico. And these are kids that live in, they're so remote that in Alaska, uh, we had dog sled teams delivering boxes to kids um, wow. in the Arctic Circle. Uh, mm-hmm. We had barges and and uh, and seaplanes delivering to islands uh, off the coast of Alaska. Uh, the Havasu tribal community participated in it. Who live at the bottom of the Grand Canyon, and they got their boxes on the backs of mules. Hmm. And, uh, but everywhere else is, you know, UPS trucks and USPS trucks delivering boxes directly to kids front porches and ended up serving about 40 million meals to the kids last summer and are about to launch a program again this summer. But that's the kind of stuff that has emerged during this pandemic, where you're thinking logistics, you're getting the corporate sector, the public sector, and, and the private sector all kind of working together uh, to be able to, to to end hunger. and And so that's that's been fun to see some of these projects like this emerge and, uh, and, and great to be able to be a part of them.
0: Absolutely. Help us understand the scope of hunger. And, and maybe, maybe we could talk about this in terms of concentric circles. Um, hunger at a world stage. Uh, what does hunger look like in this country And most of our listeners are residents of central Arkansas. Do you know anything about uh, the hunger statistics in central Arkansas or Pulaski County?
1: Yeah. So, uh, okay, that's great. Uh, Global hunger is uh, uh, so we had, we had people that were, um, uh, living with extreme hunger. We had to have 130 million people in the world living with extreme hunger before the pandemic. Hmm. And now uh, the World Food Program, which is the United Nations uh, entity, they just got the Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, David Beasley uh, is a, a, a wonderful human being and uh, they got the Nobel Peace Prize for their work to address global hunger. Uh, but according to the World Food Program, now we have 270 million people um, on the risk of of extreme hunger which is basically like starvation level right yes. uh, we've pro- you've probably seen images of children mm-hmm. and their families in yemen mm-hmm. uh, or in the Tigray region of ethiopia or in honduras which got hit twice you know by those two category five hurricanes mm-hmm. uh, as well as you know you've got a lot of gang violence and high poverty in places like there in guatemala uh, so you've seen these images of, of people that are experiencing extreme hunger. Now, some of those, some of, you know, many people will die as a result of of, of hunger on a global level. A lot of children experience what's called stunting. Mm-hmm. And that's where they don't get enough adequate nutrition, uh, adequate food and, you know, and nutritious food. And it prevents their ability to grow. And uh, I was looking at images recently of a, of a, of a young person that was, uh, I thought she was four, um, based upon her size and, and how she looked and, uh, and she was 11 or 12. Mm. And, uh, I mean, so it, it's, it's very severe. Um, and it certainly leads to a, a short life. Um, mm. so that's on a global level, They're very right. extreme. The logistics are very difficult. So you can typically tell, the health and well-being of a society or a country based upon the prevalence and the severity of hunger mm-hmm. whether that's ours or anybody else mm-hmm. because if you've got a lot of stuff going wrong it always uh, the, the funnel always ends up with hunger being on the bottom right so if you have uh, 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 religious extremism uh, if you have civil war or conflict if you have mass migration or high poverty Uh, That always impacts hunger. Hunger is always going to be one of those those, uh, uh, situations. And so, you know, if you see mass migration happening, like we're seeing from the Northern Triangle in Central America, so that's Honduras, Guatemala, and El Salvador, well, um, you know, then then you can see, okay, the health health and well-being of that society is based upon prevalence and severity of, of, of food insecurity. The U.S. is different. Thank the Lord. It's different, but that doesn't mean that I, I need to be careful the way I say that because it's, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that we, are, that, are, that we don't have such extreme circumstances as you see around the world. But that also impresses upon us uh, that we need to be working on a domestic and a global level right. very aggressively. Uh, in the U.S., hunger is episodic. <laughs> what that means is that it's typically experienced at the end of a pay period. And so, what ends up happening at the end of at the end of a pay period, is is uh, somebody, uh, an, an individual or a family, is going to determine. Okay, they don't have enough money to be able to pay their 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 house pay, you know, their, their rent, or a car payment, or transportation costs, uh, the power bill, uh, or the light bill, uh, medication, or food. And so, they are forced to make trade offs each month. They have to decide what are they going to pay for. And so typically, you know, if you don't pay rent, you get kicked out of your home. Mm-hmm. You don't pay a car payment. You know, your car is going to get repossessed or your lights are going to get cut off. You don't pay your light bill. So pe- people in the U.S. typically make food their trade-off. Mm-hmm. And so they do that by either stretching their food budget. So maybe the parents won't eat and they'll provide food for their kids or they'll reduce consumption. Um, so maybe they're not eating three meals a day. Maybe they're eating a meal a day. Or a meal every couple of days. Um, or they they purchase unhealthy, high sodium foods. They might buy soda, like a soda, you know, a coke will fill up your belly at night. And so um, it'll kind of trick your mind into thinking that you're full. And so that that's that's what hunger looks like in America is is it's it's episodic, um, but it happens at the end of every pay period for millions and millions of families.
0: These are the kinds of things that matter to us at Second Baptist Downtown, a different kind of Baptist church, located in Little Rock, Arkansas. If you are enjoying this conversation and would like to know more, please visit us at 2BCLR.com. That's the number 2BCLR.com. We hope you'll subscribe to our podcast. You can find us by searching Because It Is wherever you find your podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook by searching 2 bc a different kind of Baptist church. Now, back to the show. And, uh, you know, if the choice is to be homeless or to be in the dark or to be immobile or to be hungry, you know, there, none of those choices uh, are, are life-giving choices. That's the... Uh, the, the least of the worst uh, that so many people have to choose on a, on a regular basis, uh, excruciating choices. What about uh, Pulaski County in central Arkansas? Do you know anything about our hunger statistics?
1: Yeah. <clears throat> so in Pulaski County, you got over, well, before COVID, uh, you had 65,000, uh, almost 66,000 people that were food insecure, which is roughly 17% of your population. Uh, So remember that before COVID, the national food insecurity rate was about Mm 11.1%. So the fact that Pulaski County is upwards of 17% before the pandemic um, uh, means that you have pretty high food insecurity uh, per, you know, Mm -hmm. in comparison to the national average. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so what what families, uh, there's a term income volatility. And it's, it's one of those random terms that economists use that most of the rest of us have never heard of. But it, it is probably the best, descript, uh, best uh, descriptive term for uh, why people experience hunger in America, in my opinion. So basically, uh, if, if you're in a minimum wage paying job, so like in Texas, we still have the federal minimum wage. Uh, so you're looking at seven twenty-five an hour, you're able to put together 40 hours worth a week uh, of work a week, 52 weeks out of the year. Um, before taxes, you're bringing home $15,000, barely enough to pay for rent in most communities. Uh, maybe not even enough to pay for rent in some communities. Uh, but you know, I mean, Preston. I'm guessing you probably have, have you worked a minimum wage-paying job before or an hourly job at some I point. Have, less. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You remember, you didn't get to choose your shifts, right? All
0: right.
1: Your boss said. Preston, you're working this morning uh, or you're working tomorrow afternoon and you show up, right? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, what it means is that on a week-to-week basis, some weeks you might get 10 hours worth of work, some weeks you might get 25 or 35 hours worth of work, but you don't always know because you don't get to dictate the hours you're going to work or how many hours you're going to work. And so week-to-week, what that does is it creates income volatility, meaning that you can't predict how much money you're going to make on a weekly basis, because you don't know how many hours you're going to get over the course of a month. So you hear a lot of people like you and me, who are probably overeducated, you know, a part of the power structure saying we need to do financial management, financial planning with people in poverty. Mm -hmm. That's not bad. We all need it, but it's, but we kind of act as if, Oh, if they just had better financial planning, they could get out of poverty. Right. So you make $15,000 a year and raise two kids on that and uh, see how well you do. There's not much to plan. Exactly. That's yeah. exactly right. And if you don't, if you can't predict how many hours you're going to get and you can't predict how much, how, I mean, the financial planning model is largely based upon no one being able to forecast how much money you're going to be able to bring in. And if you can't do that, um, then, you know, it's kind of like throwing financial planning out the window, unless you're making so much money. That you can choose to live off of a portion of that that is predictable, but they, that's not the reality. So they have income volatility. Well, during the pandemic, uh, we you know income volatility went from a you know like a steady roller coaster to something that just was off the charts because sometimes your businesses were closed altogether, sometimes it might be reopened partially, uh, and that might change week to week, uh, depending upon what was happening in your local community. And so, uh, so income volatility is what, is what families uh, in poverty live with all the time. And that's why food insecurity um, is something that is a, a persistent, uh, unfortunate, uh, but consistent reality that they deal with. So you'll hear families talk about the struggle. And the struggle is typically around food. Yeah, I haven't been able to eat. So I, I'm ex- I mean, I'm living the struggle or I'm in the struggle. And that's the language that you'll hear, but that's just kind of part of the context uh, of of life for millions of Americans.
0: Heartbreaking. You know, I'm pastoring a church, uh, and uh, let's take this to the congregational level. What are best practices that you have seen of how churches might engage this issue, both in terms of uh, more remedial ministries of how we can care for hungry people, but also uh, to get at the bigger picture that you described earlier, uh, the policies and social structures for which we might advocate, even as we are feeding the hungry.
1: Yeah, uh, it's, it's a great question. You know, I, I would say first and foremost uh, on a congregational level, it's in formation, right? So it's it's you know in your in in your role having the power of the pulpit. Very few people in our culture have, have 20 to 30 minutes a week where a community of people stop and listen to them on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So our pastors and our faith leaders and our congregations, both yours and around the country, have got to start speaking up and stop by uh, you know the two components of the faith that are two sides of the same coin. Uh, so so that, that has to happen. It has to happen on Sunday school or, or spiritual formation level. It has to happen with our children, all the way up through our senior adults. And so, from a formation standpoint, we have to understand that our that our that our salvation is contingent upon uh, uh, when when, when uh, we saw Jesus, did we feed him? You know, I was hungry, and did you get and you gave me something to eat, or or you didn't? And so, I think that, that we have to understand that on a very fundamental level that this is not extra credit, but this is a core part of our faith. So that's first and foremost next thing is, is that oftentimes we're looking for volunteer opportunities. What, what, what thing can our church do to help, help people that are hungry on uh, our local level? Can we open a food pantry, or what if we have a community garden, or what if we uh, volunteer with Meals on Wheels? All of those things are good things, but I would like for us to think about this from a Jesus standpoint. Jesus, when he saw Peter and he asked Peter to be one of his disciples. He didn't say, "Hey, man, I've got something. I've got an opportunity for you to engage, and it'll only take you about four hours a month." Mm-hmm. Right? Right. He, he said, "Are you in or not?" Right. Right. You know. And uh, and so, if we're going to be disciples of Christ, we got to be all in. This isn't one of those situations where we can determine how much time we want to appropriate. And that doesn't mean you have to quit your job, but that means that you, when you're working, we are all in for people who are experiencing hunger and poverty and social injustices in our community. Mm -hmm. And that is, that is, that is core to our faith perspective. So we can't be for Jesus and not for justice in our community. That's right. So that'd be the second thing. Third thing is create a hunger free community coalition or, or engage Uh, hunger-free community work on a comprehensive level. Uh, Your church has a lot of great leaders uh, in in both the Little Rock community um, and in Arkansas uh, that that carry a lot of influence. Um, And they need to be working in a collaborative way uh, with each other to figure out how their industry can impact food security um, on on a strategic uh, strategic level that that could end hunger in Pulaski County. That could end hunger in Arkansas. Mm -hmm. Uh, you, uh, you've got a great organization in the Arkansas hunger Alliance, you know, being located there in Little Rock being led by Kathy Webb, they're an organization that's on fire for this stuff. So you don't have to, your, your, your congregation doesn't have to figure it out. Uh, how to do what a best practice is. It just needs to join alongside where God's already moving um, in your community uh, and, and doing it in a strategic collaborative way across sectoral lines with the intent of ending hunger and not letting anything less than that be, be okay. Right. Um, and so I would say those are, those are three things from an advocacy level. Uh, Senator Bozeman uh, is the chair or the uh, the minority the uh, minority uh, uh, leader of the Senate um, Agriculture Committee. Uh, so all of the U.S.'s most important anti-hunger programs are uh, legislated by the Senate Agriculture Committee, and he is the ranking member uh, for the Republican Party. Um, outside of uh, of the chairwoman, uh, the uh, Senator Stabenow. He's in the most important position, uh, arguably, in an uh, in elected of in, 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 in anybody in elected government. And he's your senator. Mm. Uh, and he's he's good on this stuff. He wants to end child hunger. He wants to end hunger. Uh, he he is uh, he he is really good on this stuff. So you need to engage him.
0: Mm.
1: My guess is that you have people in the congregation that know him personally, and have worked with him personally. And you need to engage him. You need to support the things that he's doing right. And you need to help him learn uh, the things that he needs to improve upon. Uh, You need to connect him with people that have proximity to the problem, because the nature of his job isn't going to give him the same level of proximity that some of your people are going to have. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but you need to zero in on him. And you're going to have a a, a governor's race that's coming up here pretty soon. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of people are speculating. They already know who the next governor is going to be. And so you need to be building relationships with her or him, uh, and, and your current governor, to to see what you need to be able to, to help them position Arkansas as the first hunger-free state uh, in 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 the in the country. Beat us to it. Don't don't let Texas beat you. Uh, you know, beat us to it. So that'd be awesome.
0: If there's one thing we do understand in this state, it's not letting Texas beat us. We,
1: we get that <laughs> full well. There you go.
0: Um we've talked about this throughout our conversation and in a way, this is such a simple question. And yet I think there's profundity in the simplicity. How does our faith compel us to address this problem? We've already talked about Matthew 25 and the least of these. Um, I find hunger to be a profoundly spiritual problem. Uh, It's not just about nutrition. It's about creation and redemption. Um, how do you see the faith compulsion for churches and Christians to act into this uh, in a healing sort of way?
1: Well, that's a, that's a big question, and uh, uh, it's a faithful question. I, you know, I think that's part of it. I think it's, it's presenting that question um, all the time, keeping that question before us as people of faith so that we're constantly trying to, our best to live into that you know, faith animates our worldview. And uh, uh, I wish my faith uh, animated more of my worldview than it might (laughs) on occasion. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, uh, but it it does, it breathes life into what we do and why we do it. And, and so I think, I think for for us as people of faith, it's to go back, it's to recognize, okay, if we really are all created in the image of God, uh, one, we have more in common than we, than we, act like we do most of the time. Most of the time we act like we don't have anything in common. But, but if we're all created in the image of God, um, and we really are supposed to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, then tonight when I'm thinking about dinner plans, I need to be thinking about my neighbor's dinner plans. Every time we pray the Lord's Prayer and pray, uh, you know, ask for, for, for our daily bread, we're not just praying that for ourselves and for our families. We're praying that for every human being, every living thing on the planet—that's a
0: big that, hour, right? Uh, give us this day our daily bread. That's
1: right. It should probably be in in uh, all capital letters and in italics and bold bold print whenever it's uh, when we write it down. And so if that's a um. It, it just simply means that you can't you can't be we can't be people who are followers of Christ and not be about this. Mm -hmm. and not be about justice and i want to make sure that that like justice oftentimes we flip justice and charity and uh, i've got some good friends that have really kind of schooled me on this because i've gotten it wrong my whole adult life Mm -hmm. and i don't know that i thought about it before my adult life which is unfortunate but uh um but you know we we often think about we think about charity as you know i'm going to give charitably i'm going to give you know a part of my tithe or whatever to, uh, to a local organization that might be doing some good, you know, but, but, you know, justice, the, the way they've reframed it is, is that for a Christian justice is a non-negotiable.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So ensuring economic opportunity for all people, for example, is a non-negotiable, uh, ensuring that we don't have structural racism is a non-negotiable. Yeah. You know, they, these are non-negotiables for us. Charity is what we do above and beyond justice. Mm. So justice is a non-negotiable, right. but living charitably beyond that is how we as an individual choose to go above and beyond uh, working for justice on a daily basis um, uh, because we're just so over, overwhelmed by the spirit of God moving in us that we might even choose to not eat so that somebody else could eat. That That would be charity, not just giving off the top uh, of what we think. So th- those are, we could probably write a book on this, but, but those are a few thoughts.
0: Yeah. That's such a paradigm shift in the minds of so many people, because I think we tend to think that charity is the baseline and justice is the above and beyond, right? Uh, The people who cry for justice are the radicals of our world, but, but justice is intrinsic. And if there is enough food and we have hungry people, uh, that, I, I would frame that as a justice and sin issue. It, Absolutely. It's, it's not a matter of enough. It's a matter of love and will. And that's what I call sin. And the remedy of that is what I call salvation. Absolutely. And our salvation is intertwined with people all around us who are hungry.
1: That, that is beautiful. Yes, hundred percent. Yes to that. Yeah. I mean, justice is the bare minimum. So if, if, uh, um, so if hunger exists, then that, that it exists because of sin to your, right. point. uh, and, uh, and it does. And so we, we are, uh, we're, we're being sinful or we're, we're not, and, and we have to, we have to reorient ourselves, um, to, to see this as, um, a non-negotiable, uh, and, but you don't, I think sometimes we, we think, okay, as people face, so let's say, let's say you've got some people that are listening to this, and let's say they're, they're feeling compelled, right? Okay, I want to be all in. What does all in mean? Do I need to quit my job? I'm running a big company. Do I need to quit my job and go work for Meals on Wheels or go work for Kathy at Arkansas Hunger Alliance? You know, For some of the people, that may be, that may be what God is calling them to do and impressing upon their heart. But for the most part, it's saying, okay, what can you do within your sector? What can you do mm-hmm. within your role? We had a brilliant mathematician come to us uh, a decade ago and she said, this is what I want. I want to, I want to be involved in, in addressing hunger, but I'm a mathematician. And so it was like, well, look, use your, your, use your big data skills to help us identify where children are hungry and, and develop some big data solutions to help us address some of the logistical barriers that we currently have to ensure access to food for those kids, and she did. She helped us create uh, 4,000 more summer meal sites in the state of Texas over a five-year period to greatly increase access to summer meals for kids. And, uh, And she did that using algorithms that were so big that we had to get Baylor faculty to come in and reprogram our computer because our computer couldn't manage the algorithms that she was using, uh, to be able to identify where, where children were going to be. So it's using your gift that God created, uh, and bestowed upon you for, uh, for the common good. And, uh, so. That's great. Yeah.
0: Well, let's be people of justice. I often say it second that we can't, we can't charity our way out of problems. We injustice our way into that's good. And, um, I hope that our listeners will have this multi-pronged and holistic approach uh, to the hunger that is in our neighborhood wherever we live. Uh, Jeremy, we want to bless you for your work. Uh, It's holy work, and um, know that you have friends at Second Baptist in Little Rock, and we look forward to uh, your work in the years ahead. And for now, we just want to bless you and thank you for that work.
1: Well, uh, well, Preston. Thanks for uh, the invitation to be a part of you. And and uh, as a kid who lived in Benton, Arkansas, when when uh, when I was in uh, elementary school and in junior high, I, I I love I love that state and I love the people in that state. And I think that you really are uh, a people that can uh, can that can end hunger. I think I think that the state you've got the right people uh, around the state that are focused on these issues. And I, I would love to see you all. Uh, lead the way in our country's fight to to end hunger.
0: Mm. Well, that's certainly a heart cry of mine. And now that I know that I'm claiming you as an Arkansan now, and we have (laughs) extra reason to get you to the state. So uh, yeah, thanks for sharing that. Uh, As we leave today, I'll leave you with this thought. Um, There's a pulpit at the center of the stage at second, and that pulpit is very important to me. I spend a lot of time thinking about what happens there and how faithful we are in that pulpit. But beneath that pulpit is a table, and it is front and center in our sanctuary. In fact, it's, it's so central, I think it's easy to overlook it amidst the choir and the pulpit and the stained glass and all of that. But right in the middle of the sanctuary is a table. We think that table has something to do with the kingdom of God. We think that table has something to do with what it means to worship. And surely that table also has something to say to the hungry and the full. Uh, and maybe the fool who don't know they're hungry uh, every single Sunday. It has something to do with hap- with what happens in the streets and the structures of Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, so let's be a people who set our gaze to this problem of hunger, and let's be a people of the table who know how to live into that and uh, redeem it. May it be so. Thanks for listening. As you go, go and love God with all that you are, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do so as if it's the most important thing in all the world, because it is.